Welcome to the Woke Blokes Podcast, hosted by Nick Sutherland from MindFit and Ryan Hassan from the Center for Healing. Let's get into today's episode. I'm joined by Nick Sutherland from MindFit. Nico, how are you doing, mate? Very well, Ryan, the assassin, Hassan. Thank you. Hassan, um, the assassin. I mean, uh, as I was telling you, off, off air. Are we on air? We're, all, we're officially on air. This is on the okay. record. <laughs> uh, telling you, off air, that I'm, 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 pretty, I'm, I'm pretty all woked up of being balls deep in rammed Das and um, please, guys. If if you don't know the spiritual teacher Ram Das, um, Nick isn't talking about having a Ram Das and balls deep. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't spent twenty four hours at the Blue Oyster Bar. I've <laughs> 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 um, got so, leather chaps on or anything like so that. So you've you've just been um, immersing yourself in the teachings of the artist formerly known as Richard Albert. <laughs> this is correct. This is very correct. Probably probably a better way of putting it. Um, yeah, so I've just I've just been listening to the lectures and and I've have you heard of the uh, website Films for Change? Um, no, I don't think so. Yeah, so I hadn't either. I'm probably coming late to the party, um, but yeah. So films films for change, and it's free for the first three months, I think, and then it's nine dollars a month. But there's all these documentaries, basically, awesome. and there's a spirituality, mental health, um, philosophy, general health, arts, all all, all different genres. Uh, so yeah, there's a, a film on Ram Das in there. Uh, called Becoming Nobody, I think it was. And what have you been taking from uh, his his philosophy, his teachings? <sighs> mm, I don't know whether I've been taking more than just, I don't know, not consciously taking, I've just been absorbing and, and experiencing it and really just listening with the intent to, to understand it. I'm not... I'm not chasing anything from it i'm not uh i guess what i'm what i'm really learning is that the, there are seekers out there and i think you and i are seekers we're seekers of truth of um you know we're, we're seeking knowledge and, and and wisdom and because we're all about growth um and what else yeah just as i was saying to you earlier as well that just a lot of what he's talking about resonated i suppose in me and the way that I teach and the work that I do with MindFit and and he says it in a different framework or uses different words but um, yeah it's it's very oh because it's all it's all based off Buddhism I suppose so um, the, the and and Hinduism for him yeah yeah he spent a lot of time um, in in India with his with his guru and growing indeed. beards and meditating mm. and then. Uh, Going on strike for seven years and becoming a very horny celibate. Oh, yeah, the horny celibate. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's that whole idea of renunciation. I was talking to someone about this yesterday, and um, you know, even about drugs and alcohol, and it's like whatever you renounce, you're tied to forever. It's going to control <laughs> you. It's like it's like, whether I'm doing drugs every day or I'm uh, rena- renouncing drugs every day, they're still controlling my life. Yeah, you still, and that's what he talks about. If you push it away, you're still attached to it. Yeah, you're still you're still connected to it, and that's I think we had that chat early on in the podcast about alcoholics and narcotics anonymous. You rock up every day, you know. I, I'm an alcoholic or I'm a I'm a drug addict, um, but I don't take it anymore. Well, you're still you're still heavily and deeply connected to it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, hundred so, percent. But uh, today. Uh, I, 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 I really like how much joy he has too. I really love how yeah. how his eyes sparkle and how he's just always smiling and laughing. And um, that's where I'm trying to get to, I guess, is within myself is is just more laughing, more playfulness, more lightheartedness, more. It's just all so irrational. Let's just laugh at it all. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, even when we're like dealing with things like we do with people with serious like mental health problems and that kind of jazz, like we've got to have fun along the way. It's because we lose it. That's where people get into a lot of strife. And like, there's some 
yeah, I, I, I see both. Yeah, it's like people like Ram Das and um, I, I love Don Miguel Ruiz and these kind of guys. They're just these amazing teachers. But one thing that really strikes you is also their joy. It's like they're they're exuding joy, and you mm-hmm. can see that. Whereas there's a lot of other people I like, and you know, I'm a I big fan of Jordan Peterson and you look at uh, like Frederick Nietzsche and all these people, amazing philosophers and thinkers, but my God, I wouldn't want to be them in a thousand years. Oh. Um, Nietzsche died uh, incredibly depressed and alone. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Peterson, like I don't want to make assumptions, but he <laughs> is struggling. You don't, you, know? your, you don't want them on your dinner party list. Yeah, like I would love to talk to him, but like it's not if I had to choose someone to be around, like give me Don Miguel or Ram Das any day, even though Ram Das has died. Um, Don Miguel's still going. But uh yeah, I was watching like I said, I love I've watched so much Jordan Peters and stuff. I've read his books. He's a very, very deep thinker. Um, but once again he's just come off um anti anxiety meds that he became addicted to and his daughter posted a video of him with a remote control car on Instagram and it was like uh great to see dad having fun again. I've never seen a more depressed person with a remote control car in my life. I'm like, if this is him happy, I'm really worried. It was just, watch the video on Instagram, Michaela Peterson. It was uh, interesting. Once again, but amazing thinker. But I'm, I'm, I think if we want to ask, like, do I, do I want to be just intelligent and spurt information or do I want to be... Well, that's this is life, the that joy. This is what Ram Dass was talking about, is we've put intellect up on this pedestal instead of wisdom and i think jordan peterson and nietzsche and all them were were great intellectuals but i think yeah don miguel Ruiz and you know your ram das and, and those sorts they're very wise people they're all about wisdom and in that wisdom gives them this capacity capacity for compassion and empathy which is what those others are missing I think, and that's going to link in what we're talking about today is that um, we're going to discuss suicide and have a philosophical discussion about suicide and, and taking your own life. But, uh, you know, Ram Das works with so many people dying and he did so with great compassion um, and... Also great fun as well. Yeah, exactly, and, and, and where... He said, you know, in India, death, you're exposed to death because they carry dead people on pallets down the street and and burn the bodies. There's no coffin. The, the body's not put in a box and hidden away. It's, it's not something to to hide and cover up. Death is, you know, I heard a great expression earlier, um, the, the, the leading cause of death is birth. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're dying uh, right now exactly <laughs> all of us so why do we try and mask it why do we try and cover it and hide it and, and have such an aversion to it and um, so I think if we can expose it and talk about it it stops being a taboo topic and suicide and mental health mental health has forever and a day been a taboo topic because all people associate with mental health is mental illness really um, anxiety, bipolar, depression schizophrenia um, and that's what people's perception of mental health is they don't realise that it's joy and peace and equanimity and mm. feeling content that's just a spectrum of emotions really so today I want to bring a taboo topic out and try and make it less taboo and do it respectfully uh, And but you know because people listening are going to potentially have had personal experience with um with someone suiciding or feeling suicidal within themselves. So we want to respect all of that um, generally and I hope people know us well enough by now to realise that we're always going to respect that stuff. But we want to pull it apart a little bit and see whether it has to be so heavy and serious. Yes, yeah, it's something that definitely um, needs to be spoken about. I think most people have been touched by suicide in some way, whether it's having the thoughts themselves or someone close to them going through it, um, an attempt or, or someone who does kill themselves. It's um, something that we do need to, to open up and talk about. You spoke about how like we associate a lot of people mental health with mental illness and then also mental illness is strongly associated with suicide. And this is where people who don't understand it, they get very you know, don't, don't want to have certain conversations because one, they're like, oh, someone's got a mental illness, they're crazy, whatever the hell that means. And if they're crazy, <laughs> then there's a chance that they're going to kill themselves. And so that's yeah. where a lot of fear comes into it. And, you know, I'm a big one, like whatever we don't understand, we are afraid of. So if I'm then afraid of something, whenever I interact with that thing, I'm coming at it from a place of fear. Yes, yeah, so yeah, I talk- or if it's different. 
Or if it's different, yeah. I talk about this yeah. with, um, uh, you know, families of, of addicts and that kind of thing. And it's like they want this exact script of what to say to their partner or their son or their daughter and exactly what to do that's going to get them the best result. Mm. Not knowing that it's very doesn't particularly matter what they say or what they do, but it's where they're coming from. Now, most of them are coming from a place of fear, so they're not going to actually come to the situation with the right energy. There's no understanding. So they don't get the result they want no matter what they say. You have to address that fear by helping them understand. Then we can be like... We can address something with a much more calm state. Totally, it's, it's uh, that was a, a reframe I did when I started doing public speaking. I'd always been a class clown and comfortable-ish um, talking in front of people. When I started doing large audiences, like hundred people or whatever, I realised I was coming out from fear and anxiety, and I was I was so concerned about my script and the words that I was going to use and someone told me no one's going to walk away remembering every word that you said they're going to walk away remembering how you made them feel it's like mm. you go and watch a movie you don't remember all the all the script all the dialogue you remember how it moved you and took you on yep. an emotional journey so when I switched it around and, and it came at it from that angle it was so easy to stand in front of all these people yeah, it's also this is a good uh, analogy because yeah, for me, I'd have the same thing, like just super nervous and anxious. But that's because I was worried about me and not yeah. the actual message Spotlight I was trying was to get me. across. Yeah, yeah, so it's like I'm going up here because I want to share ideas or a message with people. But instead of worrying about getting that message across, I'm worried about how <laughs> I'm going to look delivering it. Right yeah. now, this this does tie in with the the, the suicide and mental illness thing. It's like the more the more pain that we're in, mental and emotional pain, mm. the stuff that we've got going on due to our perceptions, all this baggage we've mm. accumulated, the more everything becomes about me. Yeah, so the, the, the less pain that we have going on, the more I'm happy to focus on other people, ideas, I can help and contribute to the well, world. We're in, we're in survival mode, Yeah, essentially. And when you're in survival mode, you, you know, when I was a lifeguard, people are in a blind panic because they're so afraid of... You know, drowning and dying that they're not they're nowhere near present enough to help themselves and um, I think I posted on Instagram a video of a little boy he's holding onto this tube and he's screaming you can see the panic and fear and then his mum comes along and pulls his legs down and <laughs> there's sand like he can stand up yeah yeah I've seen that one <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, you don't know whether to laugh or cry because you're like oh he's in so much pain but it's also funny because you know, he doesn't know that he can help himself and yeah. I think that's where a lot of people who are in deep suffering they, they don't know how to stand up they don't know how to help themselves they're in constant survival mode and you can only be in survival mode for so long until mm. you know yeah you run out of energy and I think that's where people who take their own lives get to they're just the hopelessness is so big and so immense that they can't see another way they don't have another option available to them mm. and I think that's one of the big uh, misconceptions is that a lot of people who maybe haven't been touched by it before who haven't had uh, struggles with their mental health themselves they see suicide as something selfish because someone's going to leave and leave behind family friends and that kind of thing and that's something if you're looking at trying to understand this topic the first thing you have to understand is um that it's not selfish at all that someone has gotten to a point that they're in so much pain and have been for so long it's not like and this is the, i'm going to take the easy way out it's not that thought at all they genuinely 100 percent have come to the conclusion in their mind that everybody in their life that loves them will be better off if they're not there mm-hmm but it's it's based off such an irrational belief, and I say that with respect. But people that are uh, just about to take their own lives have to be in an irrational state. They have to be because they're thinking, oh, "I don't want to be a burden," I, you know, and that's that's a terrible thought to have. I don't want to burden other people, and that's what st- prevents so many people, men especially, from reaching out and getting help. Um, just in terms of counselling or, or speaking to a friend or a loved one. I don't want to burden my partner. I hear that all the time. And so people just carry this stuff that becomes heavier and heavier and heavier. But it's it's not getting heavier. They're, the muscles that they're using to carry it, the, the mental muscles they're using to carry it all are just getting weaker and weaker and weaker. They're tiring. Mm. They're, they, 
you know, so it's like holding a five kilo weight, picking that up and carrying that for 20 years. It's still going to be a five kilo weight, but the Fatigue. parts of you, that, yeah, the parts of you that are holding it are getting deeply fatigued. Yes, yeah, so and, and, that, and then what you're holding there is shame. Yeah. yeah. Shame is that weight because yeah. shame says that I'm I'm a bad person. There's inherently something wrong with me. I'm faulty in some way and, and because of this fault and that I'm a bad person, I'm then in turn uh, poisoning the, the people in my life, even the people that I love. And yes, it's it's an irrational thought, but the emotion's going to override the, uh, the rational thought process every time. It's just so much stronger. We're very emotional beings, all of us. But you're going to compound it because then uh, underlying that shame is going to be guilt and underlying that guilt is going to be anger, you're frustrated, and underlying that is going to be this you know, deep-seated fear and anxiety and then there's going to be depression. So it's, it's just going to be so multi-layered. Yeah, um, and then you just, you just ping between all those yeah, you know bounce. really heavy emotions and when yeah. that goes for weeks and then months and then years uh people just get beaten down to a point where like i said they it's the rational thought but it's a thought that feels it feels very true at the time that says everyone's better off if i'm not here well it's the illusion that they start living in it's the it's the reality that their belief system's creating that it's hopeless i can't find a way out and the people I've spoken to, uh, a common theme that's come up is they didn't actually want to extinguish their life force. They didn't want to to end their life, uh, this life that they're living. They wanted to change the life, and change the situation, but they, 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 they didn't know how. They didn't know how to get from here to there. Um, yes. So, so it's like when only, you're... When you're pinging between all those heavy emotions that we were talking about, um, it's like if you're in that state, but you can see, like, oh, well, it's, things are going to change in the future, and I have this thing to look forward to. Then, then you won't start having those thoughts of of suicide. It's when you see that this the, the entire rest of my life is going to be like this, and there's no way that I know or that I can change it. So it's like you've given yourself a life sentence of that, which which Completely. is too much to bear for a lot of people. But it's funny you say that because I find that. It, it's, it's just interesting the words you said. It's like they don't want to extinguish their life force. They just kind of want part of them to die <laughs> kind of thing. And, and well, I know... They want, they, they want their their illusion to die. They, mm. they want the, um, the suffering to die. They want the pain to die. They want it to go away, to be removed, to be taken. But they don't know how to do it themselves. And they're so deep in their shame and guilt that they, they're not going to reach out yeah. and be vulnerable and I think that's where people misconstrue it as being it's weak. Yeah, it's it's weak to t- it's a weak way to 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 kill yourself. Um, I, I don't think that's true. I think the weakness, if you want to call it, is the person's inability to reach out and to ask for help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's interesting. I've heard many stories, like even uh, Eckhart Tolle's one. Like people sometimes when they're in that suffering so deep that they're ready to kill themselves part of them part of them breaks and they have mm. this really interesting epiphany so Eckhart Tolle's story was he was deeply depressed for years and um, he was at a point in his life where he was suicidal and he was wanting to end his life and it was late one night couldn't sleep he was having these thoughts he wanted to kill himself and then he literally got up and said I can't live with myself anymore and in that moment like some light bulb went off in his head because he just realized what he said he's like I can't live with myself anymore (laughs) hang on what does that mean i and myself so all of a sudden he created separation and some awareness that this uh part of him that he called myself was just something that he'd identified with with his whole life but there was an i in there as well and so he ended up he said he passed out and woke up in the morning and the world looked different that doesn't happen for everyone but that's just an example of all of a sudden he was able to completely let go and not extinguish his life force but that part of him that had kept him in suffering for so many years that's exactly what happened to me. Uh, um, about 20 doors down the road from where I'm living now, I was living in a, a different house in the same street uh, 10, 12 years ago, and I, my mental health had deteriorated over you know, eight or nine years after leaving the army. Uh, I'd, I'd completely left my mental health unattended to and I was discharged with anxiety and depression, so mental health issues and it wasn't linked into any services or anything like that. So gradually declined, 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 
developed into mental illnesses, so agoraphobia and severe anxiety and severe depression, um, you know, PTSD in there as well, just for, for a bit of fun. And I, I got to the point where, you know, I'm a 30-year-old adult male and I'm trying to open my front door that's not locked and not barred, not, not, not boarded in, trying to open my door to go to the letterbox and I couldn't do it. My mind disabled my body and to protect me. Yeah, that was the anxiety. It was the bodyguard stuck its arms around me and said, "Nope, we're not going out there. It's too too scary." Um, and I had that epiphany. I know I've got no idea where it fucking came from, but I was standing there and I, I was disbelief. To be honest, I was like, "I'm an adult male with arms that work and fingers that work, and I literally can't open a door. And if my mind is capable of this on this end of the spectrum," What is it capable of on the other end of the spectrum? Because there must be another end of the spectrum. And so that epiphany, that thought, whatever it was, created a little gap in the agoraphobia and I shot out and went to a psychologist just down the road. They were CBT-based, um, which really resonated with me. So I was lucky that the, the person I found suited my style and that's where the metanoia came in. I had to do the breakdown uh, and then the rebuild, and here we are. But it's I'm so fortunate, I'm so thankful to the angels, the universe, the gods, you know, my soul, spirit, whatever it was that that allowed that that passed that through, thought through to my consciousness. Yeah. Uh, well, it didn't. I, otherwise, it, I, that epiphany. Yeah. The, I think the important thing is that epiphany doesn't come from the mind. Because what happens, we, we listen to the mind and the mind controls us. So that's just like yeah. with you not opening the door. Nobody in the history of the world who has committed suicide or attempted to commit suicide has ever done it without their mind telling them to do it first. No. Right? So that's the only we, – we, we listen to that mind in it telling us that that's the right thing to do. So it's like, it sounds like these epiphanies in these moments for you is when all of a sudden that mind gets bypassed. You're saying – my mind's telling me to do it this way, that means it must be capable of that way. In that moment, you're no longer your mind, which means you don't exactly. have to listen that's, to it. That's why I said it, it came from somewhere other than my mind. It got passed into my consciousness, my conscious awareness, and then my, it got handed over to my mind, and my mind got this email. Um, by the way, there might be something else on the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> oh. oh, fuck. All oh, right, okay. And then all of a sudden... The anxiety got the message. I was like, oh, right. And I could open the door and walk out and go and see a psychologist. Yeah. And, and then and that, and then that went, action even further uh, disconnects you from that thought pattern because you've just done what the mind was telling you for so long you can't do. <laughs> it's like, oh, and, okay. And I told, woke up the next morning and said the world had changed. And this is what I talk to my clients about. It's so hilarious that... Nothing had changed out there. Veterans Affairs was still the same. I'd still been in the army. I'd still experienced sexualized violence. And nothing had changed other than my beliefs and my perception and my illusion. You know, 12 months later, here I am going to study you know, psychotherapy. Um, and But nothing had changed except me. Yeah, it's funny. I had the same when I had that first moment where I walked into Melissa's office saying my life's completely fucked and there's no way back from it and then I came out of it and I'm like okay I'm a drug addict uh, I'm on serious criminal charges uh, I've written off my car all this stuff but then in my mind I'm like everything's going to be fine like it's just in and knowing everything's going to be fine that, that everything's going to be fine in a word is called hope and yeah. that's what people who kill themselves lose yes. is, is hope and um, it feels so hopeless and so helpless and so completely disempowered. Uh, but in in therapy, the, there's three keys to positive therapeutic intervention. I've spoken about it before. And the first one's rapport. The second one is hope, and then the third one is actual change. And that hope is is you've got to give people light at the end of the tunnel. And you can only do that though if someone's open to it. If someone's in enough pain and suffering and that's why I love my clients because usually I hear oh you're my last resort or I've tried everything else and you know nothing's worked I'm like beautiful you're ripe for the picking you're you're gonna you're gonna be open to, to anything and 
in that very first session I have with them, in that 90-minute discovery session, I, sh- I literally map out how we're going to take them from point A to point B and what it's going to take and what's involved. And I paint that picture for them and, and show them that light at the end of the tunnel. And they go, ah, oh, fuck. So for Orion, you know, who's... I'm a drug addict, criminal charges, everyone hates me, I've lost everything, blah, blah, blah. I've dug myself into a real deep hole. That's okay. doesn't matter why or how you got there. All that matters is that you're here and we're going to look at how to get you out of that hole. And mm. this is, these are the tools we need. And as soon as you give someone those tools, they're like, ah, oh, right, I can do this. I can do this. Yeah, that's the thing. But I think even um, before I jump into that, I, I, I don't know if we've spoken about it, but I'm sure you've had this a number of times, that perception thing. It's, it's the amount of times I've worked, say I'm working with a guy and he's got all these funny relationship issues and he's blaming his wife for everything and then you go in and do this work on him and we're like all these patterns started and the next week he'll come in. I'm like, how's it been? He goes, mate, you would not believe how much my wife's changed. She's acting completely differently. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking, she's not fucking acting one bit differently. (laughs) But you're filtering her differently. Anyway, um, where was I going to go before that? Yeah, so here's the thing. This is where, and I'd like to talk about this with you, people who are coming in to seek help and they might be in such a defeated state and even having suicidal thoughts, which both of us you know, have had people come in like that, there's still something there because they've taken action to come in and get help. So yeah, I think so there's, the, there's some I, juice there or the, some hope for them. So I talk about the five steps to change. The first one is an awareness that we need to change, that there's a problem, yeah? And then the second one is an acceptance that we need to do something about it. And then it's tools and the knowledge and the capacity. But I can't work and you can't work with anyone that hasn't ticked those first two things off, that there's awareness that there's a problem and an acceptance that there has to be some work done with that problem to resolve it. So when they walk in, yeah, they're already open and searching and seeking for a solution they just know that they don't have it within themselves and so what and so what do we do the, to the people that aren't because i would say a, a high number or percentage of the people who commit suicide haven't even got that hope in them to even go and seek help the hardest thing to do is to watch somebody that you love stay in their suffering and um a lot of the time, the people I work with, I'm helping them to deal with not being able to help people they love because the people they love are the ones that should be sitting in my office, but they're not. So the person sitting in my office is associated with a person who is deep in despair, but it's the classic, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. And you can stand there and reflect to the horse you are dying of thirst we've just done tests and you do not have enough water in your system and you know they're they're still not at that awareness and nowhere near that acceptance and they're like no i'm not they're in denial no i'm not i'm not dying of thirst or even if they are aware they're still not willing to accept it and so you're dying of thirst no i'm not like literally you're gonna drop dead no i'm not there's water there go and drink it and you'll feel better no no i won't i don't need it so you can't open a closed mind. You can't force it open. You can't force someone to change. All you can really do is plant some seeds and hope that those seeds find some fertile ground. What do you think about a lot of you know organisations and that kind of thing now who are their main focus Ooh. is on preventing suicide? No, no, this is in a good way, but like... Let, let's say you know we hear the stats every however long it is seconds or minutes someone's killing themselves in this country and people say we want to reduce that suicide that's that's wrong that's the wrong way it's the wrong approach okay. my opinion and i feel very strongly about this is that it's a fucking horrible way to deal with suicide it's like throwing people in jail punishing them for committing crimes it's it's, it's a horrible way it's it's like locking drugos up and and no, I, I, th- I think it's a very archaic approach. I don't. There's a, a company getting around, I won't mention their name, and they go around and do mental health talks and suicide prevention, and they're a charity, and they do the same. They pump out all the stats, and this is how many of you are killing yourselves, and go and see your GP and get a mental health care plan, and here's a show bag with Beyond Blue, and uh, Are You OK stickers, and here's all the helplines and everything. 
And that's not where the answer is. It's, uh, we need to educate these people. And so many of the clients I work with, every one of them, I'd say, has been on a mental health care plan, but because those three keys weren't there, there wasn't the rapport, there wasn't the hope, and then there wasn't the change, they didn't get anything out of it. Mm. So they just stayed, you know, they may have felt better temporarily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, thanks, I can blame that person or whatever it's the mom's case fault. may be. Dad's fault. Yeah, yeah. So they, they feel temporarily better and a cessation to their suffering, but because they've got the same constructs that got them into that suffering, they're going to come back into it sooner yeah, rather than later. Yeah, which can often be a problem because then people... Obviously, it's taken so much for them to admit there's a problem and reach out for help in the first place, especially for us guys. Guys kill themselves on a much larger number than women. Um, it's It takes so much more for us to be vulnerable and do that. And so we finally do be vulnerable, which is like something we really didn't want to do in the first place. Then I go and see someone and it didn't. It made, made me feel better in the moment, but then didn't work. And then a lot of people just say, oh, yeah, that, that psychology or that you know therapy doesn't work. And they just generalize yeah. the whole industry. And um, it stops them from reaching out again because they think they're going to have a similar experience. Well, I realised I was sort of subscribing to that model for many years in my old guys uh, under state of mind. That's why I changed to MindFit because education is the key. Mandela, knowledge is the most powerful weapon we have in which to change the world. And we're all living in our own individual worlds. We're not. It's funny. We, we don't all live in the same world. We all live on the same planet. We all live in completely individual worlds that just bump into one another. And we have to change our own worlds through insight and observation and and wisdom um, and and use turning that knowledge into wisdom through application. So we need to be exposed to this and. We're not doing enough spiritual development in schools with young people. You know, mm. they they go home to emotionally retarded parents, and I say that in a literal sense. Their, their parents just at a certain level themselves, so they're in no position to you know, mold and build and construct emotionally healthy kids who can, you know, be resilient and 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 problem solving and all these things that we need to be. As adults, when the inevitable happens, when challenges are put before us, so yeah, it just has to be education, and not education. And this is how many people are killing themselves, but education on this is what you can do to end your suffering, and it all comes back to accountability, being responsible for your own happiness. It has to start with that. It has to always be the base plate for you know. It's going to be so hard to commit suicide when you come into an understanding that you're responsible for your happiness, not anyone else. The yeah. two just don't go hand in hand. Mm. Is it? Um, I, had a, I, had a cli- I had a client once. Sorry, it came in and he he was um, having suicidal ideologies, thinking about suicide, and within ten minutes we had him laughing at how absurd it was, and mm. because. 12 months ago, he thinks the girlfriend he had at the time cheated on him. He doesn't know, but he just thinks it. So he created a belief that she probably had and he was blowing it out of proportion, you know, worst case scenario, all this stuff. And I said, I got the whiteboard out and wrote 10987654321. And I said, on the scale of 1 to 10, where would you where would you put that experience in, in your life now and, in, and how, how bad your pain and suffering? And he's like, oh, easily an 8. Okay, so girlfriend cheating on you is an 8 out of 10. I'm like, let's fill in the gaps around it. And what, what's above that? And he's like, oh, you know, mum getting cancer. Okay, and what's above that? What's what's the worst case? Oh, dying. Okay, so where's becoming a paraplegic or where's all these other things? And it was just a really simple way to reframe it for him. And he looked at it objectively. He pulled him out of his story and he, you know, within five or ten minutes he'd taken it from an eight all the way down to a three mm. and then he was laughing he's like fuck jesus i really i really blew that out of proportion didn't i <laughs> uh, well you did but that's human nature it's how our minds yeah. work because we're not taught his, how to his mind did perspective yeah yeah exactly so that's the education that we we need to be giving people not just you know trying to scare people with fear-mongering stats no. 
Do, do you think it's it's even realistic to say uh, the suicide number will come? I know some people say come down to zero. That's a long way. But even to, let's say half, is that realistic to think that this human experience doesn't involve a certain amount of uh, people being in enough pain to kill themselves? Not in using the current constructs that we have, not using the current systems that we have in place. It's... Um, I don't think we can get it down. I don't think we can halve the suicide rate just by beyond blue and are you okay days and all this shit. I don't buy into that at all. I, I agree. Hugh from the Hugh from the uh, Resilience Project um, talks about an experience in India where he said people back in Australia are killing themselves, and he said they look puzzled and dumbfounded, and they they don't have a word for suicide in this part of India. They, right. they can't contemplate and get their head. They're like, what, what, people are being murdered? And they're like, no, people are murdering themselves. Mm-hmm. And they're like, how? How do, you, how do you kill yourself? So there's no suicide rate over there. So there's a, um, I guess there's a, a pool of people that can prove that human nature isn't to kill ourselves. It's, it's all the shit that we pile on top of it. Of course. I mean, there's such a strong survival mechanism in us. Like, you can't drown yourself. If you try and drown yourself underwater, you can't. You'll physically come up for air. So, we have to find these other things. Try punch yourself in the face. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard. You don't want to inflict pain. Yeah. And that's what suicide is. It's a, it's a release of pain. It's a, it's a being free of pain. So it's the only way that they know that they've probably tried drugs, they've tried alcohol, they've tried gambling, they've tried all the escape mm. mechanisms and coping mechanisms. Yep. I hate the word cope as well. It's like we need to give our kids more coping mechanisms and strategies. No, yep. we don't. We need to give I had a client, I had a client this week, yeah, a drug addict, and she was like, oh, I'm just... I'm looking for different coping mechanisms. I'm like, what if we didn't need coping mechanisms? <laughs> Let's try and start there. <laughs> I, I ask them. I say, do you smoke? Yep. Do you drink? Yep. Do you have you gambled? Yep. Do you get on Facebook and, and try and switch off and disconnect? Yep. I'm like, you've got great coping mechanisms. What do you need more for? Yeah, like, <laughs> you got plenty. I'm like, I, I, I can't, I can't give you any more coping mechanisms. Yeah. You've got them all. You got it. Oh. You got it all, baby. Um, I can give you some self-management strategies. I can teach you how to start. <laughs> Managing yourself. Oh. Yeah. But people have them. And this is what uh, I talk about. I found to be so apparently clear that suicidal ideation is a coping mechanism. So oh. I have found that uh, for people, so people, every coping mechanism exists because I'm in some sort of pain or suffering. I'm in some sort of pain or suffering and I'm going to try and work through things to find out what helps alleviate that. And that thing that works the best will become my coping mechanism. That could be drugs, alcohol, gambling, shopping, sex, food, work, relationships, my phone, whatever it is. So, or all of those. (laughs) So, they're coping mechanisms, right? Because they work. Now, they don't work as in they get rid of the suffering. They just blunt it for a short amount of time. They're band-aids on a broken leg. And so... For people that drugs and alcohol don't work, that'll be their go-to thoughts of suicide. Now, for people who have gone down the drug and alcohol route and that has worked and now they've got to a point where it doesn't work anymore, like you said, they will then start having suicidal ideations because once again, they can't... These The the, the drugs don't work. They just make it worse. That's <laughs> um, The drugs don't work. So it's like the, I, there's no way out. What possible way out is there for me from this suffering? So the mind then says, let me go to work and try and come up with a solution for you. Okay, bang, you need to start um, thinking about killing yourself because that's the only way this suffering is going to end. So if you don't exist, the suffering won't exist. Yes. That's the simple math of it that you, you end up at. And I, when I was in my headspace you know, down the street, um, I was so stuck so helpless so hopeless that yeah i was envisaging yeah how to commit suicide how to how to end my own life how to stop this suffering and i'm like but i got stuck because i'm like oh i can't cut my wrists i can't don't want to hang myself i don't you know and i couldn't figure out how to do it and Mm. then i beat myself up i'm like i'm useless at even trying to kill myself can't even do that (laughs) (laughs) what a fuckhead man so yeah, if push came to shove, would I have done it? Perhaps if 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 I stayed in that space for another six, twelve, eighteen months. But that's why I call it a life-saving epiphany because 
when I had that moment of clarity, I was like, bang, I'm out of here. But that, yeah, that moment of clarity was breaking your addiction to your thoughts. Like our number one addiction as humans is to this bloody voice in the head. Like we just, we take advice from this thing. We listen to it. If you actually sat there and watched it, this thing's crazy. <laughs> if this thing, if this thing, like I don't know if I've spoken about this on the show before, but if you sat this thing out just for a day, just for one day, yeah, yeah, yeah imagine that it's a person next to you and just listen yeah. to it. And then at the end of the day, go, would I take advice from that person? You'd be like, no, <laughs> that is like the most bipolar person I've ever met in my life. I'm not <laughs> going to take their advice. Yet when it jumps back in here, we're like, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, I said I wouldn't drink anymore, but I'm going to go get that bottle of Jack Daniels for sure because it yeah. justifies <laughs> it in my mind. Um, and eventually we get to the point where the mind says you need to kill yourself and we're like, you're right. And then even yeah. even part of us will go, no, but I can't because of my family. And then it'll go, no, but let me now justify why your family's better off by having Here's to do it. Here's all the reasons why you can do it because of your family. Yeah, and it makes it makes a a uh, compelling case. Yeah, yeah. I know if you if you watch this thing, you can understand how addicted we are to it. And breaking that addiction means that we don't have to take its advice. Then we free ourselves. We can free we're ourselves. So vulnerable. We're in such a vulnerable state, in a, such a vulnerable space that we are going to buy into what it's selling us because we're, we're feeling so helpless and hopeless. Because so the mind we're, we're, is, it is trying to help because. So we have an, an emotional disturbance and that disturbance can go on for a long time. But then instead of being able to actually be with the disturbance, because like this is where people ask me again about how we're going to get numbers of drug addicts and overdoses down. I'm like, we've got to get into schools early on and teach kids about emotions and emotional health and how to be open and vulnerable with this stuff so they don't uh, accumulate all this baggage later on. So we don't, we're never ever taught how to actually be with and just process our emotions and not and be in relationship with them and understand that they're trying to give us feedback. We're just like, bad, 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 I need to get away from it. And so we go up to the mind and so then the mind tries to come up with ways to help deal with that disturbance this is why when we have an interaction with someone and we feel like we're embarrassed because we said the wrong thing our mind will say, well we should have said this and then next time I'll do that it's just trying to play out scenarios so that that emotion feels a little bit better uh, just like a drug or some sort of coping mechanism it might make that feeling a little bit better but it doesn't actually release that energy from our body it doesn't release that emotion but that's that's where laughing is so crucial in, in this equation, learning to laugh at ourselves and how irrational our minds are. No matter, you know, I've been doing this for 10 years and I, I live and breathe this day in, day out and, you know, I'm like living at a gym and I still have irrational outbursts and irrational moments and there's nothing I can do about them except just laugh at it and, yeah. and be aware of it and go, oh, oh there's, there's one of my moments. All right, and back to back to trying to be and that's all I'm doing in my work is just reflecting to people gently without judgment how irrational they're being and then providing them a pathway to getting back to being more logical and rational and and grounded and present and at peace and okay and it, it is you know, emotional disturbance before imagine our emotions are a lake our thinking our cognitions are like throwing rocks or boulders into that lake and it's going to create waves so imagine you're in the middle of that lake you know, swimming on a nice day sunshine it's all flat and all of a sudden these waves start rolling in it's like surfers you know getting dumped and then another wave comes over and another wave comes over and that's where you get in that survival mode so imagine waves dumping on your head for two or three years one day you're going to reach a point where you go, I'm just not even going to bother trying to reach the surface anymore. Yeah. And that's sad. That's so sad. But they don't realize that we're we're the ones that are throwing the rocks in the water. We're the ones that are creating these waves. Mm. Yeah, and I think laughter, laughter is so important in what you're saying because it's like, we immediately go from like having fun with it or curiosity as opposed to judgment because then the judgment we just keep compounding, right? I shouldn't be fucking thinking by that. People have it so much worse. You're such a fuck up because you think this. It's like you're just compounding the same. So it's mind got you into the issue, then mind's beating up mind and it's just getting deeper and deeper <laughs> down the hole. All those waves are getting heavier and heavier. Yeah. It's like the laughter can really break that. It can be a bit of a pattern interrupt. Well, it, it has to because we're we need a way out of it and that's that creates that pathway out and so we can laugh at ourselves it's just uh, 
you know, we have as many problems as we think we have. So if we can start laughing at them, and oh, it's not really a problem, it's just a silly thought that popped up. You know, we, yeah, we can stop giving it that energy and then stop that that loop. You know, we talk about getting stuck in the rut. That's what people do is they go around and around this circle and they deepen that and that, that groove gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Uh, and that's that conditioning and the patterning and all that stuff. So we've got to break the cycle and laugh laughing at your partner is probably not a good idea when they're when you're in an <laughs> argument but it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna be but laugh at yourself right. laugh at your own reactions <laughs> yeah, that are yeah, happening yeah. up here you know it's funny yeah. like you say with problems like if the if the human race if we just became extinct all of a sudden then nature would thrive right and there would be uh beauty in nature there would be violence in nature but there'd be no problems because every single problem just exists in the human mind well, and I talk to clients again about the laws of nature and the universal laws of gravity and physics and all these, all these things. The law of nature, everything's impermanent. You can't argue that, yeah. But we walk around with our own internal laws, thinking, um, "Oh, that bushfire shouldn't have happened. That's terrible that that happened." And yeah, whilst it is a tragedy on some level, as you said, if humans weren't there, that bushfire would still be there. Yeah. But it just wouldn't be a problem because no one would have got hurt, and that's the irrationality. I can't believe that bushfire happened. How? How can you? How can you not believe a bushfire happened? Yeah. And here's the thing: there's there's nothing wrong with being sad about it, but to then say it shouldn't have happened, you just that's ridiculous. You're the creating is, a the problem. The issue lies in when we get stuck in that disturbance. So, yeah, we get upset about it. We're disturbed. We're emotionally disturbed. That's okay. We're human. We've got emotions. We need to feel them. But when we get stuck in them and we get stuck in them through our crappy, shitty little thinking styles that it shouldn't have happened, that's where it becomes dangerous and unhealthy and that's where our mental health will start to deteriorate and we'll start projecting our pain and suffering onto other people and that's where we become toxic. And do you know what I think? I think it's... So we feel that disturbance and that sadness and we say that shouldn't be happening as in the fire shouldn't be happening, but really we're saying I shouldn't be feeling this sadness. Now, that means that the sadness doesn't have any space to move. See, sadness is beautiful. Sadness is just such a beautiful emotion. And to prove this, I I went and saw, I I like Lady Gaga, right? You You know, I don't know if I've spoken about the podcast. I went and saw A Star Is Born when it was at the movies, right? Yeah. I sat in that theatre. We went gold class. I cried like a baby. Have you seen the movie? It is so sad. Uh-huh. I cried like a baby for pretty much the whole movie. It's one of the saddest movies you'll ever see. Anyway, after going through all these tears and this sadness, what did I do when my friends asked me if I'd been to the movies lately? I said, I went and saw A Star Is Born. You've got to go. Like You've got to go yeah. and see it. It's amazing. I, so I wanted them to feel sad. Why? Because sadness is beautiful when I can control it and it's not all about me, right? So imagine if we could treat our own sadness that way. I had a friend turn up yesterday and she's doing some course online and she goes, you should do this course. And I just observed her as she was saying it and I started laughing and I said, they are probably the least favorite words of mine to start a sentence. You should. <laughs> you should do this. You should go and you do this to your friends. You, and, and, and it comes from a good place because we want people to experience. She's getting a lot out of it. She loves the course. And so she wants me to experience what she's experiencing. So once again, it's normal. It's human nature. But it's completely irrational. Again, it's like... You're not going to experience it the same as... No, no, but yeah, I know what you're saying, but my point is, like, if, I don't even know if they were the words you should see it, but even if they said, how was that movie? I would say it was fucking beautiful, even yeah, even though I was sad the whole time. You want them to experience what you experienced because you got you found some value in it, you enjoyed it, you, you, know, you were moved by it, and so you want other people to experience that as well. Yes, but I'm saying, but what I'm trying to, to say is, if we could view sadness as just as holy and beautiful as love, joy, peace, and bliss, then we wouldn't get into all this trouble, right? Because the problem I have with sadness or with fear or with shame or with guilt is when I have it, I say I shouldn't be having it. And then the mind starts going crazy, right? And then we just compound it. So I think sadness can only be beautiful when it's not married with an expectation that it should have been anything else. Mm. So... It's just a, there's no attachment there. It's just an, an observation. It's just an experience. It's a, it's a moment. 
that, that, that you are in. Okay, and that was sad. I can feel that sadness. Where if it's a sadness with an expectation or a, a demand or something else that it shouldn't have happened and it's terrible, if, if you then start enforcing and imposing mm. your mind onto it, then it becomes a different kind of sadness. Yes, yes. This is exactly what I'm talking about. So let's say that, yeah. let's say that um, someone that I love dearly dies, right? Yeah. It could be an illness. Let's say it's suicide because that's what we're talking yeah. about today. Yeah. Then I go through this grieving process and I am incredibly sad. Now, but what I either have sad about that's the thing. So if yeah. I feel that sadness and go, I'm so sad this shouldn't have happened. Okay, that's one thing we're talking about. What if yeah. I'm so sad and I look at that and go, oh my god, look how sad I am. Look, this is how much I love that person. This is what the human heart's capable of expressing. Okay, yeah. it's n- sad, now sadness becomes shitty when it's about you instead of about the thing because mm. uh, the, the grief is so linked to the ego it's all about us I'm missing out I've lost that person I, mm. I, I, me, me, me I think it, with suicide if you can be sad uh, and I think that beautiful sadness can only come from being empathetic and being compassionate you know I, I, I'm feeling deeply sad about what my friends was experiencing within themselves and you can share in that that sadness, and and whereas if your sadness is more for you and it's an ego sadness, then that's that's where we get pretty yeah. bent out of shape. Because also when it's ego sadness, we're in some form of resistance, and so yeah. when we're in some form of whatever we resist persists. So it's like I'm I'm resisting this emotion because I think it shouldn't be there, but that exact the exact act of resisting means it's going to stay there for as long as I resist it. And people, you know, I've I've worked with people who's um, mum or dad died 30 years ago and they're still grieving but they still yes. haven't gone through that process because they think it shouldn't have happened yeah yeah hmm. look it's an interesting topic right it's, and I think that the more that we talk about it the more that because um, like you said we get whatever's taboo and people don't like talking about becomes like this big demon in the corner of the room Right, and the longer something isn't spoken about, the bigger this demon gets. Then all of a sudden, if we turn around and face the demon and speak about it openly, we'll realise it's a little, little chihuahua thing <laughs> that we can actually, you know, not be so scared of. And I think mm. the more we can not be scared of and understand something, the more that the people, because what I think what's come out from me today is understanding that you know we obviously work with people who've been suicidal, and there's something in them they're actually coming out for help. The people who are really at risk are the ones that don't even want to reach out and speak to someone, like not a professional, but even not even their family or friends. Um, and I think it's it's those people who, if they can start to understand that, it's just these thinking patterns these programs and these things and these emotions that we've been running for a long time and that can be changed then we completely can change how we see the world and ourselves uh, what, so what are your thoughts on people ask me you know how do i know my friend's suicidal i i think those that are closer to the act of suicidal are the hap- are people that have gone from sad to happy there's been a shift um, because they've let go, they've embraced, they've accepted it, they've start tying up all the loose ends, they've, they've committed to this pathway. I think people that are talking about suicide or you know, cutting their arms or whatever, I think they're further away from the act of suicide. I completely agree. That's exactly what I've seen. I always, if I'm, if there's someone who yeah has been for months or years in this deep depression and going through all this stuff, then all of a sudden they're like, you know, it's an energy of like, not like everything's fantastic, but it's like, yeah, I'm doing all right, and they're yeah, smiling and all that. That's alarm bells uh, are going oh, off yeah, for me. I'm, I'm more worried about them than someone that's cutting their arms. 100%. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, me too. So I think it's like uh, if you see there is signs in people that you know, uh, you'll have to go first. And you'll have to go first with being vulnerable and you might have to talk, sit down and instead of saying, how are you? How are you? Are you okay? Are you, how's that depression going? Just start going, hey, I've struggled with these things. Yeah, mm-hmm. start to be open. Give someone space to be vulnerable back. If you don't mm-hmm. give space and it's all about them, they're just going to shell up more and tell you what you want to hear. And don't impose your beliefs onto them. Don't tell them what they should or shouldn't be doing. Don't place yeah. expectations on them. Yeah, that's the that's the worst when someone does open up and they're like, you know what, I'm struggling and I'm so depressed. They're like, 
what have you got to be depressed about? Oh, you just got this, 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 this. Just be happy. Okay. Just, just be happy. It's like telling someone in the middle of a panic attack, calm down. Yeah. <laughs> Can you just fucking calm down? Oh, didn't think of that. Yep, I'm sweet now. <laughs> Halfway through a yawn. Stop yawning. Stop yawning. Oh, 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 okay. I, I want to finish up on, I don't know how much time we've got left, but I want to- We've got four minutes. All right. Euthanasia for people that are in physical pain. Do you think there is a place for euthanasia for people that are in emotional pain? Um, it's quite an interesting one. Okay, let me just tell you, like I'm, I'm very compassionate and empathetic around people with with suicide and that kind of thing. My personal thoughts are: I've just thought about death so much, and I've had experiences that death doesn't seem like a big deal to me. So yes, I'll be sad if someone dies, not just suicide, but say I'll be sad if someone dies. But part of me is also like I feel like there's a great tension of suffering that's been released. I mean, a lot of spiritual teachers talk about death like taking off a tight shoe, right? But that depends again on your beliefs and that kind of thing, right? Um, so yeah, that that thing for mental and emotional pain because it's like it's like you, why no, just answer that. Do you think there is room for if we can assist people in physical suffering to die and to release the pain? Do you think we should assisted suicide only if every other avenue has been exhausted? Because the reason why the death penalty was stopped is because someone has done all these murders and everything and they're going to get put in the electric chair and then the person runs that there's some evidence they didn't actually do it, right? Yeah. Too late, we killed them, right? So it's like, I know... Because I, I know a lot of people who have gone through attempted suicides um, years previous and you know pretty much all of them are like, thank fuck I didn't kill myself because now I've done so the work. Now I've done the work and I've realized what's possible with life. I couldn't see it back then, but I can see yeah. it now. So just to say if someone's like ticks a few boxes, they can do it. It's like they've got to go through, you know, if that was to happen, yeah. if it was after years of all different types of therapy, different, you know. Well, it's just more the, uh, it's just more the, was it okay for people in physical distress to be allowed to pass on? But suicide is so frowned upon, you know, mm. where I don't know, they, they, I think we're placing too much importance on the physical pain instead of emotional pain and, and we're looking at them in different, very different terms. 100%. And also it's like the, the quality of, I think what people aren't a fan of isn't, it's just suffering. It's not that someone's yeah. not in this physical we reality anymore. We're hardwired to avoid pain. Yeah. And so we have like, you know, someone like the, the, as far as we know the universe started 13.8 billion years ago like that number you draw the zeros and compare it to a life of 80 you're like fucking hell we're here in the blink of an eye yet someone goes someone dies at 20 and someone says it shouldn't have happened it's like yeah. 20 60 80 like it's all so quickly and like if someone lived 20 years and they were full of joy and enthusiasm and, and did stuff um, surely that's just as valuable, if not more, than someone lives to be 110 who's pissed off and resentful about everything. <laughs> yep. But people just people just want people to survive so they feel better and don't feel like they've lost something. And we've spoken about that before, how a lot of when someone, grief oftentimes is just about the fact that I have lost something. Yeah. That's like where the fountain of youth comes from. People just don't want to die. They're, they're after longevity. Because yeah, you know, Ram Das was talking about it earlier. He said the same thing. If someone dies at twenty, depending on your belief system, maybe that incarnation of them has learned what they needed to learn in this lifetime. They were just efficient. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you, you can't, oh, you can't be angry at someone I'm, for being efficient. I'm that stubborn. I might live to two hundred. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'll drop off whenever I need to drop off. Uh. Pleasure as always, Nico. Yes, and same back to you. Same back to you. Uh, anyone that is struggling, you know, reach out, reach out to friends, family, or the, all the support lines or that kind of thing. Today wasn't so much around, you know, we're not we're not trying to give you stats and numbers and tell you all this stuff. We just want to give you a bit of a different perspective and maybe break some taboos around the topic. And don't think you're burdening anyone because we all need somebody from time to time. Don't be stubborn and yep. pig-headed and bury your head in the sand. Every single person that's ever existed on the planet has needed to reach out at some point to uh, to get yes. help. So don't it's be afraid not weakness. to do that. It takes more strength to reach out than it takes to not. Strength. Uh, yeah. All right. We'll see you next week. Got another guest next week. Uh, my mate Shane Kelton uh, is going to jump on. And uh, yeah, he'll be have, good to have a chat to. He's a good man. Sweet. Thank <laughs> you.
Thank you for tuning into the Woke Blokes podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. Also, leave us a five-star rating. We thank you so much, and we'll see you all next time.